welcome to the official Warlord Games podcast. My name is Brad, and uh, I am joined this week by the man, the myth, the legend himself. He was absent last time, but he's back, the co-host, the man who basically runs the show, Paul Sawyer. How are you today, sir? Welcome back. Oh, thank you very much. Yeah, yeah, had a fantastic holiday. I'm not sure about running the show. I'm part of it. <laughs> there are one or two other people involved, but there you go. You're the brains, man. I'm the I'm the mouth. How does that work? <laughs> if I'm the brains, we're doomed. <laughs> well, if yeah, uh, well, better you than me. <laughs> yeah, yeah, all good. Um, yeah, lots going on. Um, I'm sure we'll, we'll cover a lot of that mm. uh, in the next next few minutes. Have you been doing much in the way of hobby? I since last saw you, I have, I have. Um, there has been a, a lovely local uh, narrative-driven bolt action event that uh, it was not your standard tournament. It was more of a um, it was a combination of Operation Market Garden and Operation Bagration, um, which happened about the same time. And the uh, it was run by our guest from the very first episode of the Warlord cast. Uh, Lee Avery ran it, and it was called Stop the Hoff. So it was all about stopping Germany um, so that... Uh, you know, David Hasselhoff would never take over the world in sort of an alternate uh, reality future. So, um, I, yeah, <laughs> it was great. <laughs> yeah, it was it was wonderful. But that said, it was a very historically accurate driven uh, campaign. Uh, and I was originally signed up to play the Germans, but uh, a number of people sort of switched sides and switched armies. And so I spoke with Lee, and uh, a couple weeks before the event, I switched over to the Soviets and finished um a, a a winter army of everyone in snowsuits which doesn't technically fit bagration but uh he needed soviet armies so I, I i finished an army i've been working on on and off for five years so i was very happy about that um which included a great number of wonderful warlord models that i was happy to finally put on a table um and um i walked away with the best painted non-german army so i was extraordinarily uh, pleased with that. It was my best, my first ever best painted uh, trophy. And yeah, I'm more than a little chuffed. Um, I used a lot of um, Warlord's uh, fins in uh, with skis and snowsuit models um, because before you guys put out the Soviets in snowsuits, those were kind of the, the, the best you could get of snowsuit models for World War II. And if you look at some of the pages in the Soviet books, the fin models actually fit pretty well so um i just now have two boxes of the winter soviets that you make then i'm going to add to the army to make it even more soviety but yeah no it was uh i spent a lot of time painting that and playing great games and yeah that's pretty much all my hobby it's been wonderful how about you uh yeah that sounds fantastic uh, well done on the uh, on the best uh, army award Thanks, man. Uh, we'll get some, you get some pictures up on your old website so we can have a look at them. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Will do. Uh, yeah. Um, my hobby has been mostly uh, centered around terrain making. Um, some of you all know that we're um, coming out with a game written by John Stallard uh, called Cruel Seas, which is motor torpedo boat, um, mm. coastal command action. Um, 
and uh, we need a lot of terrain for that because it's not the usual stuff that we'd have lying around for bolt action or mm -hmm. um, hail Caesar, black powder, etc. So I spent a, um, a fair amount of time um, producing some coastlines, islands, sandbars for um, kind of Mediterranean Pacific and then also another set for kind of North Sea Atlantic um, so obviously we're covering more than just the British versus the Germans in the game. But I won't steal too much of the thunder, um, because uh, in the next couple of months we ought to get John on himself so that uh, he can give all the gossip on uh, what Crawl Seas is. Fantastic. Uh, I know we've been drip-feeding very, very gradually, uh, but we're working on that um, in the studio um, like demons at the moment. Uh, Anna and, and Lee and Dylan, uh, the production team, are uh, hard at work making it look as pretty as possible. I've seen some of the photographs they've been taking that they're looking superb. So we'll come back to Cruel Seas in the future, but that's been what my hobby is, making mm -hmm. lots of islands and uh, atolls and stuff. Now, I have to ask, is part of that, are you allowed to say, because I know you're partially responsible for these awesome videos that we keep seeing through the Warlord social media of boats and monkeys and interesting music and, and mist. Do you know? I, 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 could, I could not comment okay. on what that means oh. other than watch this space. I oh, can't wait. Oh, you are teasing me, sir. Well, you know, one has to. Oh, that's right. That's right. All right. Well, so yeah, so yeah that's that's where that's what my hobby's been all about. Lots nice. of flock. Um, the missus is pleased that it's done now because um, everywhere was covered in little bit chips of blue polystyrene or flock or clump mm -hmm. foliage. In fact, I'm still pulling it out of various. Um, I was going to say orifices, but that's not right. Various <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> nooks and crannies around the around the house. Yeah. Yeah, it, it did take me a fair bit of vacuuming to get the, uh, the the white flock that I was using for my snow out of every possible part of the living room. But uh, we got there. Uh, my wife's been out of time. I've been out of town. And now uh, that she's back, uh, hopefully I've cleaned it up all in time that she doesn't find a fine white mist of um, white static grass somewhere. But yeah. Hmm. Oh, is that what you're calling it these days? Yeah, yeah well, you know. One must be entertained when the wife is well. Oh, family show, family ah, show. Right. Okay. So, touch to move on. Touch to move on. <laughs> yeah. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. Hey, um, while we are talking about nothing to see here, I'm holding a fantastic uh, Warlord Games Desert Warf Warfare catalog. Um, it is. Amazing. This is this is like the Christmas catalog that I used to, you know, you know, go through as a kid going, I want that. I want that. I want that. Um, this is a really cool little uh, little thing you've slipped into my most recent Warlord order. Um, what is this and why? Why are you sending it to everyone? So our listeners will know. Well, in, in the the, um, the the day of online shopping, um, hmm. We felt that it was time to do something different, and actually going back to what we, you know, we used to do many years ago in our uh, previous life at a previous company, um, and we all grew up with those catalogs, as you say, being able to tick off what you had and what you wanted, mm -hmm. because at the end, you know, at the core of um, our hobby is we're all collectors. We're either collecting for an army, or we're collecting for you know having one of everything, uh, or we're collecting special edition models. Um, uh, and, and it was an opportunity to just do something different where everybody's vying for everybody else's online um, 
attention, mm-hmm. to have something physical in your hand. So, you know, so, so something that you can, you know, uh, whip out at a moment's notice rather than have to worry about logging on or mm-hmm. scrolling through uh, page after page. Uh, and it's very, very focused. Um, we've done it on the Western Desert because we're obviously putting out a, um, a lot of new releases, aside from the Western Desert book, which we'll be covering later in the, the episode. Mm-hmm. Um we're releasing two plastic sets at the same time, which is unheard of for us. Usually, one is um, is big news, but releasing the uh, Eighth Army and the West, uh, the Africa Corps at the same time, we felt that that plus the book really deserved um, doing as much as we could to um, you know show what our range is uh, and what our range is going to be. Because you'll notice in the book there are some things that are coming soon or yes. not out yet um, because they're not but there will be around about the release of the book. So um, plenty to come and lots more planned. Um, this is just the tip of the iceberg. You know, we fully expect to have um, more plastics, more metals and more resins for the Western Desert. And then already you've got the 8th Army, which not only covers, you know, um, the British, but has separate heads uh, with turbans to have a Sikh army, you could have a Punjabi Muslim's army, a Yusuf Sai army, uh, or the Tamashanta with, with a Scot. So that's you know four armies in one set. Uh, and we're quite really pleased that we've been able to um, crowbar in the extra um, turban heads. So everybody knows about the Sikhs. They're, they're, they're the one Indian army, um, so to speak, that, that people are very, very familiar with. Mm-hmm. But what a lot of people don't understand is that that they're just one cast of um, the Indian Army, and that there were many, many other factions with different headgear and different traditions. So being able to put on um, a different um, turban um, arrangement um, so that we could cover the Punjabis and the Yusuf side was yeah, very important to us so that we could you know, show the Indian Army and, and, and the great service that they did for the British Empire. Mm. Um uh, and really push that so that they, yeah, because they're they're a major force out there and in other parts of the uh, the war as well. So being able to uh, give them their uh, um, day in the sun is uh, very important to us. Absolutely. So yeah, I mean that's the Western Desert. You know, the the catalogue is the, the the first of our catalogues. Um, we'll see how it goes. Um, we we're very pleased with it, and all the comments that we've had so far have been very positive. And if they go down very well and you know, <clears throat> people use them to purchase more of our fine figurines and games, then uh, we'll do more. Uh, and, you know, not just for bolt action, but, yeah, we've got Black Powder 2 coming out shortly. Oh, yeah. So that'll be another one uh, that we'd like to do a, uh, a catalogue for. Uh, and then over time, yeah, who knows, these might not just turn into a, a, a larger thing but we'll be picking them off in bite-sized chunks keeping an eye on how popular they are both um, for people picking them up and also um, uh, buying from those ranges so mm-hmm. if you like your catalogs get your wallets out yes right on well you you mentioned black powder do you want to uh, start talking about mr Priestley's next project Yes, yes, and hopefully we'll have him on the next podcast talking uh, in more detail. But um, we're, we're delighted to um, be bringing out a second edition of quite possibly the uh, most popular 
um, game for the horse and musket period, so kind of 1700 to 1900. Mm. Covers some incredible wars for, for war gamers, American Civil War, obviously the Napoleonics, the Sudan, the Zulus, American War of Independence, and loads, loads more. Um, and whilst the, the original book uh, was a glorious feast of eye candy uh, and a great game to boot, um, it, it's showing signs of age. Um, every every game system needs refreshing after mm. a few years, uh, and I believe it's been eight years um, since Black Powder is long overdue. But because it's such a uh, a popular game, what we didn't want to do is you know, uh, tear it up and start again. It's it's really a chance to uh, revise one or two areas, uh, clean up one or two areas, represent the book, um, uh, and for anybody who wants to know more about the the actual details of what's changing look no further than this month's war games illustrated magazine um, there's a great article uh, an interview with rick explaining what's changed why it's changed and um, the battle report between himself and john stallard so I heartily recommend you anybody picks up war games illustrated and uh, checks that out Nice. And I know when those guys are involved, the miniatures are going to be plentiful and beautiful because uh, their collections are huge. Yeah, it's a big table, big armies uh, and lots of fun. Uh, I think it's probably worth me mentioning uh, for those people that have already contacted us saying, oh, you can read all the supplements. No, the answer is no. Um, with the game system being uh, uh, adapted rather than completely overhauled, uh, all the supplements that uh, are out there at the moment are still applicable, so uh, don't worry on that. Yeah, because the uh, the War of American Independence book isn't that old from memory. Uh, no, no, it isn't. Uh, Nor's the American Civil War book. Glory, hallelujah! That's right. Uh, <clears throat> uh, yeah, we're working on uh, more supplements going forwards. I believe the next one will cover French Indian War. Uh, that'll be that'll be into next year now. Um, but uh, yeah, I think that's the uh, the case. If I remember, uh, age does take its toll on one's memory. <laughs> what do you mean? They don't call me old man Warren for nothing. Um, <laughs> right on. Well, all right, Paul. Um, you guys have had so many great things come out recently. It's it's hard to know where to direct you to to give us some tidbits. So. I'm going to step back, and rather than feed you where to go next, why don't you tell me where would you like to go next? Well, there's a few things. I mean, we've covered the, covered the big stuff already mm. with uh, Black Powder 2 is causing a, um, a, a commotion out there. Mm. Um, um, yeah, it's been a very, very popular pre-order. Uh, I, would, I would say, that, and I may be wrong here, I think we may just have a handful of the collector's editions left. I could be wrong. They may already be gone by now. Mm. Um, because I know they have uh, flown off the shelves, so to speak. But these, uh, this is the um, uh, the inners with um, hardback leatherette, gold foil block covers, dust jacket, mm. uh, gold edging, um, bookmarks. Yeah, vet, yeah, printed end papers signed by Rick Priestley. Uh, there's only 250 of them. Uh, and again, they may all do already be gone. But if anybody is interested in picking up um, something exclusive, a little piece of history, then uh, I'd suggest jumping on the website as soon as possible, mm-hmm. uh, just in case there are one or two left. Uh, nice. So that, that's a, that's something that we're, we started to do with Black Powder. And, and yeah, it's gone very, very well. So I'd expect us to do um, some more collector's editions going forwards. 
and um, you know it's certainly something we've wanted to do for a while. Uh, seems to have gone down very well, so we'll see. Certainly plan to do one for Cruel Seas. Um, yeah. as, as we previously mentioned, that that's the project we're working on directly at the moment. Um, and uh, so we're, we're just waiting for plastics to come in and resins to be cast. And it's uh, there's a lot going on with that game. So again, just uh, watch this space, and we'll try and get John Stellard in, in the next uh, month or two to uh, give us the goss. Fantastic! I can't wait to see it. And then, you know, similar vein, um, because that is part of the bolt action World War Two family. Um, we've got Blood Red Skies, as you know. Mm. Uh, Again, been very, very popular um, combat game. And we've got some more stuff coming through for that. Uh, we've had the first test shots of the, the next plastics, which are uh, the Hawker Hurricane and the De Havilland Mosquito. So um, that will introduce both of those get, um, models into the game. Uh, obviously, the Mosquito being a twin-engine fighter adds another dynamic um, to what has so far been a single-engine fighter game. Mm-hmm. And there'll be some more aces. Um, both for um, the Hurricane, uh, which I believe, if I remember, memory serves, um, are Douglas Bader. Um, there's a Polish pilot I, whose name I can't pronounce, <laughs> uh, which all the polls in my office will be uh, chuckling at. Mm-hmm. And there is uh, another spit, uh, another Spitfire Ace, uh, Johnny Johnson. Mm-hmm. And uh, let me think. Well, there's Picard, the um, the Mosquito Ace. So five or six sets coming out for that uh, later this year. Uh, uh, work's already well underway on the next wave, which will be uh, uh, the Germans into the uh, early part of next year. So still plenty to come for Blood Red Skies fans. Nice. Fantastic. And then, yeah, I guess pretty much the, the last thing. Uh, on my list is uh, Doctor Who. Mm. We had a, a visit from uh, John Levine, the actor who played Sergeant Benton um, as part of a unit uh, that was in the kind of third and fourth Doctor eras, so 70s, 80s, and uh, a delightful chap, full of beans. I must admit that uh, uh, as a 70-plus-year-old, if I had half of his energy, in fact, I could do with half his energy now. <laughs> it's a real live wire, a lovely bloke, uh, lots and lots of great stories. Uh, we had the opportunity to um, show him around Warlord and show him the sculpts we're working on because right at the moment we're developing unit for the game and unit characters. So he got to see the Heroes Pack, which has himself, uh, Captain Yates, and, of course, the the Brigadier. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and, yeah, fantastic day. Fantastic day. So uh, uh, we're looking forward to getting the uh, the Sergeant Benton miniature out and, uh, um, uh, and send him in, uh, a sample. Very nice. Yeah. Well, uh, speaking of um, famous people holding Warlord products, I, I happen to see a copy of Strontium Dog in someone's hands. Yeah, yeah, that was uh, that uh, that was uh, one of those real fanboy moments for me. Um, we had uh, the writer and the artist who developed Strunching Dog uh, way back when, and I did so for many years. So, uh, the artist Carlos Esquera and the, um, the the writer John Wagner, um, we sent them their um, complimentary copies, and they were kind enough to send us uh, photos of them. 
themselves you know, holding that, which was, uh, yeah, made me a little giddy. I have to admit, having grown up since then, mm-hmm. the mid-70s, uh, reading their stuff uh, to, to produce something that they are, you know, uh, saying nice things about. Uh, it was absolutely marvellous. And we've certainly got a lot more coming through from Strontium Dog. Uh, I think with pre-orders have just gone up for um, the next wave. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've still got more to go. So I think the next wave, for remember, is Booba and the Bad Boys. So these are um, alien, um, vicious, ferocious aliens, um, similar to um, Darkus and his Howlers. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, from the, from the same planet, effectively. They're just different characters where Darkus is on foot. Uh, Bubo and his bad boys are Mork Riders um, from the, the great uh, strip, uh, the bad boys bust way back when. Mm-hmm. So uh, I think they're, uh, they're up for pre-order. They've added another dynamic to the game with uh, uh, more mounted characters. And then we've got uh, more uh, low-life scum. So we've got the, the the wasters. These are like the goons we've already released, but lower down on the food chain. Uh, so um, not quite as well armoured. Not what? Um, not quite as well armed. Um, but again, adds uh, uh, another level of um, collateral and, and helps you flesh out your uh, gangs with um, low-cost um, bodies, really. Yeah. Um, I've got Scum of the Universe, I think. That's, I'm literally uh, looking at those right now. They look so good. Yeah. So I, I, I'm trying to remember, but I believe you've got Cansteer, a ginormous do? alien uh, outlaw mm-hmm. from, from way back at the beginning of uh, um, Dog when it was still in Star Lord magazine before that became part of 2000 AD. Um, um, so yeah, Cansteer, I think Cansteer killed off um, Johnny Alpha's previous. Um, partner before he um, fell in with Wolf mm-hmm. uh, and then I'm trying to think oh what else we've got Billy Joe that's right Billy Joe's in there so he's the uh, he's a two-faced villain literally he's a two-faced villain uh, he has a front and a back no wait he has two fronts yeah he does so he has a head that has, has a head that has a face on either side and um, he's a, um, a a champion with a las whip so he's wielding one of those to the front and one of those to the back, and he's an absolute dervish. Mm-hmm. Um, he uh, kicks Johnny Alpha all, all around the place initially in, uh, in the comic strip. Uh, and I know uh, <laughs> uh, the writers of the game, Gavin and Andy, were both thinking, oh, hold on a minute, how do we deal with this guy's facing? Oh, of course, both ways. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, so he brings a little uh, extra... Uh, two things oh and then we've got steel krieg also mm-hmm. in there which from uh the killing which was um, uh, a, a seminal strip within the uh, the series um and he's a, um, a psychotic robot with a flamethrower effectively nothing wrong with that no no it ticks all the boxes really yeah so yeah we've got, we've got lots coming through and, and yeah still more um we, we are working on uh uh, more sets for the future. Um, I think Marco, uh, one of our in-house designers, uh, has just finished all five of the uh, mutant army leaders. Oh, very so, cool! So fans, fans of the uh, the comic strip will be very familiar with the likes of General Arms, Evans of Fist, the torso from Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Um, we've got Studs Boys, and we've got Clacton Fuzz. 
Uh, and then the next the next thing we're going to be looking at is working on some trailers. So Nelson Bunker's Creamer, um, can't even say it now. <laughs> Nelson Bunker Creelman's uh, thugs, anti mutant thugs. Uh, so that, that's the, that's the next thing for us to look at. So still plenty of things to come there. Uh, and Strontium's dog, dog has gone down an absolute storm. So. Um, we know we've hit the nail on the head with uh, with that game and uh, looking forward to uh, doing more with it and then utilizing that game system for for future um, games based on the 2008 AD license we hold from Rebellion. Yeah, we'll so, see them. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. So it, it's kind of prove the, uh, prove the system, prove the popularity. So we'll, we'll be utilizing that in uh, some guys or another with uh, with future games. Nice. Yeah, I uh, I just got my copy in the mail a little while ago, and if I hadn't been painting Germans and Soviets so uh, adamantly for this event, I would have been painting mine up already, and they are fantastic models. Um, I was blown away at how much detail you guys were able to get in to, um, in a lot of cases, are just single-sculpt individual models, um, but the, the casting and the detailing is so clean and crisp that uh, I'm really looking forward to just priming them up and getting them down. They have almost no flash. Um, so I'm pretty sure you literally just stick them to the base, add your flock, prime them, and go. Uh, and they, I mean, I'm just looking at that going, okay, I know where I'm going to put my highlight there. I know where I'm going to put my highlight there. Because um, some models you look at and you go, I'm just not sure where I'm going to highlight that or ooh, how am I going to paint that? But these models, it's like they walked off the page of the comic book I know exactly where to highlight them. And if I don't, I can literally open the comic book and go, now, where does that go? Um, and it's, yeah, they're great. And the rules look fantastic. And you open the, the book of the rules, and it's like you've opened a graphic novel. It's just fantastic. I think you guys really hit, hit the uh, nail on the head with that game. Oh, thank you. It's um, certainly been very popular as a game, and the, the miniatures have uh, been getting rave reviews. Um, so we've, we've we've tried to be as um, true to two thousand AD canon as possible, um, and in particular the the comic strip and the feel and the mm. vibe um, that a strong team dog has. Um, anybody who reads um, plenty of um, two thousand AD will realise that each strip has its own vibe. Mm. Although they're all one family, there's very little crossover um, between. I think obviously um, uh, Strontium Dog and Dread has a slight crossover when yeah. Johnny Alpha and Wolf do a time job and uh, enter Mega City. I think on a couple of occasions, but otherwise they're self-contained and, and, and they have a very different feel. And we've, we've tried to be as true to that as possible, mm. uh, and, and certainly um, you know from the having to put all of this past uh, rebellion for approval um, I can count on one finger the number of times we've had to make a change so obviously they're they're happy with the way things have gone nice. and um, uh, uh, that's been they've been a delight to work with I have to say fantastic oh yeah I mean just the book seems to be perfect as it is so uh, I'm, I'm I can imagine they would be happy with it yeah, um, we, we, we had no changes on the book, I don't believe, which is amazing for a rule book. I think the uh, I think it's been a, one model that they wanted to just have a little tweak on, even that was minor. So, um, you know, it's, it's gone very, very smoothly and more to come, hopefully. Excellent, excellent. Well, is there anything else you would like to add or shall we pop over to the desert? Well, I think we ought to let um, Roger have his uh, day in the sun, so to speak. Ooh, I'm sure he's got plenty nice. to say. Yeah, hey, 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 see what hey, I did hey there? Yeah, I like that. I like uh, that. 
the the Western Desert is the biggest book we've done so far. Um, it is incredibly thick. And yeah. Although we've been working with Roger and we we're working on the the, the layout, etc., we were still really surprised when uh, we got the sample copy, and it's like. How thick? Yeah. How many pages? Crikey. And then when you open it up, you realize just how much stuff has been crammed in there. Yeah. Uh, and Roger's done a top job on making sure that not only are you holding um, the reader's hands through the, um, the particular uh, operations and the flow of the depth, but done in uh, potted history rather than too much depth. Exactly. Um, he's done that um, primarily with scenarios. Uh, which I think is the way to go for a, a gaming supplement. So I think this this sets a new standard for um, campaign books for for Bolt Action, and certainly one that I'll be holding up for you know, future authors to to be used as uh, the template. Really. Well, it is 168 pages. There are 19 missions. Um, there are new national rules for a pile of nations that don't replace the national rules, but they give you the option if you want to replace them, you can. So it allows you to retheme your armies in new and original ways. And then on top of that, you throw in a new complete army list and you throw in new units and you throw in history. It's it's amazing. There is just so much stuff in that book. Spoilers for what we're about to talk about. So I may uh, allow you, uh, I may get you to uh, hop on. And now, of course, I'm forgetting the name of the mounts that you get on to ride off into the desert in Strontium Dog. Not mork riders. Yes. the mork. Hop on a mork. I'll let you hop on a mork and ride off into the sunset. And uh, I will turn my sights uh, towards the sun in the desert. And uh, when we come back, we will be with Roger. Now, Paul, thank you very much for joining us. And we look forward to hearing from you next time when we talk black powder. Absolutely. Uh, have a great time with Roger. I'm sure it will be. He's a lovely chap. Uh, despite what he says on the toilet wall. <laughs> and... Uh, I'll see you at all. Fantastic. We will be right back. And we are back, and I am excited. Now, you guys have heard me talk about being excited about books before. Uh, I, I'm a big fan of Warlord Games and the stuff that they bring out. Uh, always have been, and probably always will be. Um, and it is, a, it is a rare day that I get this excited about a Warlord release. Because this is a book that I own three fully painted armies for. One of which I've kind of had to put together uh, an army list out of weird selectors and reinforced platoons and a tank uh, platoon back in the day just to get a force on the table. But now I don't have to wait. Now there is a new book that is full of great national rules, that is f for a, a ton of nations, that is full of great army lists and theater selectors about one of my favorite parts of World War II. Of course, I am talking about the Desert War, and there's only one man that we can come on, bring on to this show to talk about just all the bits and pieces of this book, because it is so 
inclusive of so many aspects of that conflict. And that, of course, would be the author. Now, you would know Roger from, of course, the Berlin book, The Battle for Berlin. But he is back with his second big campaign book for Warlord Games. And that, of course, is The Desert Book. Oh, mate, I am glad to have you on. Roger, welcome to the Warlord Podcast. Thanks, Brad. It's a pleasure to be here. Oh, mate. So, uh, clearly, you know I'm a fan. So, um, Mm -hmm. is this... It, do you share my passion for the Desert War, or uh, is is this sort of one of those things that um, Warlord called you up and said, hey, Roger, I've, have I got a book for you to write? Yeah, I mean, it's it's uh, you're right in both cases there. Um, ah. Firstly, yes, indeed, Warlord did contact me after the road to Berlin to say, did I want to do another book? And uh, I said, oh, yeah, what, 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 what you got in mind? And they said, oh, the Western Desert. Now, um, I, of my age, uh, I grew up at a time when basically anybody, any adult over 40 had probably, you know, experienced or served in the Second World War. And um, the Western Desert was always something, I think, sort of big in the psyche of the of, of the British uh, British people. Mm-hmm. And um, all the comics that I used to read around that period, the War Action Commando comics, they were all about, usually about the Western Desert. Um, these guys in these baggy short trousers um, mm-hmm. fighting the Germans, fighting the Desert Fox and the Italians. Um, and in addition, I think my very first War Games book that I ever bought was Donald F. Featherstone's Tank Battles in Miniature, which was a uh, which was based on the Western Desert. So through reading that, I learned all about cruiser tanks and Matildas and mm-hmm. all the interesting aspects of, of what made up the Desert Campaign. So in some respects, it was quite a natural fit. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm glad they did because um, going off of just the table of contents for this book, uh, it just it covers so many different aspects of the war, but in enough depth that um, it really allows a player to dig in. Um, sometimes with these books, you can really tell if a, if you know an author has a particular interest in, in one army in, in the book or maybe in one particular battle in the book. But this book, uh, is does a really good job of sort of encompassing all of the aspects of the Western Desert that I know and love and some bits and pieces I didn't know. Um, mm. So how did you tackle such a, a wide span of uh, units, armies, battles, conflicts? Um, that seems like a really daunting task. Mm. Well, one thing about the desert campaign um, was that um, it really was a multinational um, conflict mm. in the sense, firstly, of the Commonwealth itself, the Commonwealth forces. I mean, you mostly normally talk about the desert rats and a lot of people think the British, but... You know, the Commonwealth forces played such a major part in the conflict. The mm. the contributions of Indians, South Africans, Australians, of course, New Zealanders, South Africa. Oh, I said South Africans. You know, was a major part of that. And although they were under one command structure, you know, each of those forces had their own sort of little little idiosyncrasies and foibles, which which was interesting. Mm. Of course, you've got the the Africa Corps itself, um, which so much has been written about. 
But it, interestingly enough, it, it, it's the Italians in some respects that almost get me to tell. It, it's almost telling the story of the Italians in the Western Desert, this is, because of the forces there, probably I think the Italians were the ones that changed the most as the, as the, as, as the, as the campaign progressed. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of bad press for them, obviously, in their initial campaigns against the, Brit- against the Commonwealth and the disasters of, of, uh, of Operation Compass for them. Mm. And people tended to fix, I think, a little bit on that part. And, um, you know, I wanted to say, well, you know, actually later in the war, you know, they were different. So in some respects, the Italians are that linking element. But I know that uh, people are interested in not just the Italians, but the Germans and, and the British. So I felt I couldn't tell the story of the Desert War unless I included all those elements, all those elements in it. Absolutely. Now let's 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 start with the Italians because I was literally listening to a bolt action podcast today. And while I was listening to it, the gentleman on the podcast said something about the Italians having some of the hardest to play rules in the game that and I don't say that in a negative manner. They were they were just saying that some of the rules of Ante Savoia, for example, um, mm. if you are the Italian player and you're losing, um, can you know make for a difficult experience play experience if you are an Italian player. Um, and yeah. a lot of Italian or people who have been interested in Italians um, or who have played Italians um, have bemoaned th- that rule's existence. Um, what mm. I really like about what you've done with this and several other nations in this book is you've given alternative national rules to theme mm-hmm. your force around. Now, what I like is you don't say the old rules don't exist anymore. You say, mm. you here's a force. Here are some other rules that you can use to replace the other rules. So if you want yeah. to use those rules to represent the Italians in the battles you were mentioning a second ago, you can. Mm. But if you want to mm. use something different, you've given players an alternative. Um, would you like to talk about sort of what uh, what sort of rules you mm. gave the Italians? Because I know that's one of the things that a lot of players are wondering. Are the Italians yeah, going to sh- change? And they do. Yeah, sure. Um, you know, the original the original rule, rules for the Italians, as, as seen in the um, Italian army book, um, are good rules, and yeah. I think they probably do reflect the way the Italian army performed in the early parts of the of the desert campaign. Mm. I mean, they were primarily second line units. They were going up against a motorized uh, Western desert force mm. um, that could outmaneuver them. They had very little in the way of transport. Therefore, they were immediately forced into a defensive um, posture, even after the um, even after they invaded, in, actually invaded uh, Egypt. And I think those rules probably reflect that well. Mm. Um, but if you look at the way the Italians developed in the later stages of it, I mean, a lot of it was stuff that was rubbing off on them from just actually working with the um, with the Africa Corps, with the Germans. So mm-hmm. they picked up a fair amount of tips about offensive uh, combat from them. Um, but there was also a, a, a program undergoing at the time of the desert conflict started, this AS42 uh, program, mm-hmm. which was actually promoting the idea of a, of a much more mobile force, uh, a much more aggressive force, and a force that packed a lot, a lot more firepower. Mm-hmm. 
So what I wanted to do was say, well, okay, um, you know, let's give the players a choice. Let's look at that sort of later Italian force and allow people who've got an Italian army to play things in a slightly different manner. Mm. If they want to be a little bit more offensive minded, if they don't want to be restricted, um, then that's fine. But at the same time, I didn't want them to make them sort of like a a, a gung-ho assault force uh, that could could whiz around everywhere. Totally. Yeah, so I put in a – so the rules that are actually put in there, um, in some respects, I've reflected – what I've noticed most about the Italians is – that, that they were quite stubborn in the latter part of the uh, of the conflict. Now that stubbornness um, is sort of you know flies in the face of the general view that you know poor morale will always fall back. Mm-hmm. Well, there were some very brave Italian troops in the Western Desert, and so I actually given those troops uh, you know the ability to be to be stubborn. Now. <laughs> Unfortunately, one of the reasons that these guys were stubborn was because they had really had no choice, because in a lot of cases where they were in a position where they would need to retreat, they found that the Germans had just quite happily waltzed off with all their transport. <laughs> so, uh, so they really had no choice. And you, you add that to the, um, you know, the, the way the way the, Fol- the well the Folgori parachutists mm-hmm. um, defended at Al Alamein, and you know these guys were regarded as, as some of the most difficult guys to actually dig out. They weren't going to surrender. They were often going to fight to the last man. So one of those um, one of one of those elements I've I, I've put in there is is to allow them to be um, to, to be stubborn, which um, I think is, 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 is will make an, an interesting thing. So we're not going away from the fact that the Italians were good in the defence, but mm-hmm. at least we're making them able to defend themselves without necessarily having to hide behind walls or or, or fortifications. Agreed. Um, the uh, another rule that, um, that I put in there was um, was one called uh, Avanzari. Um, my reading showed me that um, the anti-tank guns of the uh, of the Italians they were they were actually very quite experimental in in pushing their guns forward. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Commonwealth, when attacking the Italians, would quite often run into anti-tank artillery a lot earlier than they would actually expect. Quite often, they were, the, the, the Italian ambushes were pretty effective. So again, I've given a uh, put a rule in there, the Zabansari rule, which, which which allows Italian anti-tank guns to forward deploy, like snipers and forward observers. Uh, even if it's a mission that uh, normally prohibits that. Um, so that makes it quite interesting. And because the desert war was quite an armoured or mechanised conflict, and you will see a fair few tanks floating around, oh, yeah. um, this is another interesting um, uh, aspect uh, for them. Mm. But it's not wine and roses, is it? I mean, the, the no. Italians definitely did have... Uh, their forces had some drawbacks in those conflicts. So, despite their stubbornness, they uh, the leadership wasn't always great, was it? No, exactly, exactly. And 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 again, um, we we still got a I've uh, still got poor officers um, as, as this Italian trait because because although they were getting better, a great 
number of of, of any of any sort of decent developing junior junior leaders mm -hmm. and uh, sort of mid level commanders. Many many of them were taken prisoner um, during the during Operation Compass. So there was a, a rebuilding activity going on 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 the, on the officer corps, and mm -hmm. it probably didn't there wasn't enough time for that to fully come in place. So we've got a poor officers rule in there that um, that says that. Uh, those officers in this Italian force can only add their command value to ambush, fire, and rally order tests. So they're not particularly brilliant at, 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 at going forward. Um, they don't have that ability. You can still do it, but there's a slight disadvantage there. Mm. And one of the other things that also came out about my reading of, of, the, of, 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 of the history of the conflict was mm. that the Italians... Many of the Italians just really did not believe in this particular in this particular conflict, mm. whether they dis, whether they agreed or disagreed with Mussolini. Um, and if you also add on the well, almost you know disdain that they were held with by 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 the Germans, which must have been very apparent to them. And you read the letters that they sent home. You know they, they were in a position where they were saying to themselves, "Well, we're here. We're going to fight." But we're not going to just, you know, throw our lives away unless we, you know, you know, unnecessarily. So I've built in this Prudente rule, which says that Italian infantry units, you know, they take an additional minus one penalty to all orders tests, but not the morale tests. So, you know, the Italians are good, but... It sometimes is a little hard to get them going because they're just basically sitting back there saying, you know, I really don't want to put my head above the above the parapet for these yeah. for some of these officers, and certainly I don't want to do it for the Germans. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, let's not give away all the goodies for the Italians just yet. So, as we said before, um, it's not just the Italians that get some alternative new national rules. Um, now we've seen in many of the other books over the years. Um, well, let me backtrack. So the British book, the original Armies of Britain book uh, and, the, and the forces of the Commonwealth had mm -hmm. a remarkably diverse set of national rules that you could choose from to cater to, um, you know, whatever particular flavor of Commonwealth force you were playing. Um, since that book's come out, in many of the other books, there have been little alternative sets of rules um, for different Commonwealth forces. Um, that maybe better reflect uh, those particular forces than sort of the generalist um, choose-your-own-adventure um, of rules that is in the original British book. For example, mm. in the other desert book, um, the theater book, not the campaign book that's about to come out, there were uh, a couple of national rules for Indian forces, but they were specifically written that those rules had to be used with a particular selector when playing a particular mission. Um, you've sort of pulled all of these uh, Commonwealth national rules from all the books and sort of tightened them up, and you've removed the stipulations uh, with this book, and now we have alternative national rules for a variety of Commonwealth forces um, that mm. is just awesome. So it's not just that, um, you know, oh, you get to pick this national rule. It's you you, you replace the free alternative. Uh, uh, artillery observer and the free choice of rules for a specific set of rules, but those set of rules reflect the Commonwealth forces. Um, I will stop talk telling you how this works, and I'll let you do it. So tell us about some of the Commonwealth forces whose rules now appear in this book. Yeah, sure, sure. Um, 
As, as you say, um, the Jewel in the Sun book um, had the had the Italian national uh, characteristics in there, and I, and I have to say, uh, you know, I've, I've basically taken what uh, Alessio wrote in there and, and used that for, um, for 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 the Indians. Mm. Um, for the for the for the Australians, um, again, you you always got one of the things I've noticed, and one of the things I'm, I always try and do when I, I put a book together is 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 to look at previous books. Mm. Um, to look at also the future ideas and say, well, okay, if there's some decent rules in there that are for the national characteristics, then, you know, let's adapt them. It's, uh, I don't want to go off all the time and just say, okay, we have to create something new here. I'd like mm. to have sort of a, a, a level of consistency. So the Australian national characteristics, for instance, the, the aggressive patrolling, uh, never mm-hmm. give up. Um, you know, I've, I, I've looked in, um, I looked in Mark Barber's um, New Guinea book because it's mm-hmm. got some excellent stuff in there regarding the Australians and I thought well yeah that does actually reflect how I see the Australians fighting in the desert how they fought uh, in Compass how they fought at Tobruk um, so let's put those in there as well um, add to that uh, a little bunch of um, specific rules for the South Africans mm-hmm. and for the New Zealanders and said to myself, well, you know, this is a suggestion as much as anything. Um, people like collecting themed armies. People want to uh, say, OK, you know, here, here is here is the um, this particular um, uh, Australian company. Here is this particular New Zealander battalion or whatever. Um, so let's give you the choice. And I thought, well, let's give them the choice to say, well, OK, yeah, if I do do that, then I can make this force fight a little bit differently from just the standard British force with, say, one, um, one national character characteristic that's a mm-hmm. little different so it's, it's giving people that that that, that freedom to um, you know and if they model the forces in, and, and and the new um, warlord eighth army set is quite good there's a lot so of little bits and pieces in there that you know allow you to maybe sort of model the forces in a in, in, in a slightly distinct manner so you know let's give some rules as well so if you want to represent the New Zealanders you know that's good so I mean I, I put in things uh, for the New Zealanders, it's a question of just, re- and with all of these guys and these forces, it, it's, it's really reading through, uh, you know, various historical mm-hmm. uh, descriptions of how they fought. And and sometimes, I, I guess, you almost like have to um, over-caricature. It comes with a bit of a caricature sometimes. But um, so for the New Zealanders, for instance, uh, I've given them a steadfast under fire um, so after rolling for the number of pins caused by HE fire, if it's New Zealand infantry or artillery, you half the number of pins rounding down. Um, I also read a lot about New Zealander um, officers, and there were some pretty fine uh, guys in there, and they were pretty well trained, and there was a lot of good initiative. So simply i've put some for junior officers i've taken some of the other rules and so new zealander first and second lieutenants have a, have a morale bonus range of 12 although the you know the snap to action ranges remain six so mm-hmm. little, little, little differences like that um i've taken the maori rules that were, were already there put them in there as well to uh to to, to bolster up what you would have with a mm-hmm. uh, a new zealander force um for the South Africans, there's a there's a there's a bloody mindedness thing. I mean, they were they were pugnacious, they were aggressive, they 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 held their ground. So whenever a South African infantry artillery unit receives hits from non-HE fire, you place a pin marker as normal. Although, if no casualties are subsequently caused, that pin is automatically removed. So you know they they they're very resilient. 
that's um, so that's a, that's 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 a taste of what of of what I've done. So it's 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 as much suggestions as anything. That's that's way my my books work in in, in that sense. Is I'm not going to, I, I never want to straightjacket a player that they have to do this or they have to do that. Mm. Now I know that might fly in the face of, of some tournament player, or whatever like that. Mm. But you know those 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 guys tend to be self-regulating anyway. Um, yeah. So anything I put in this is 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 is, is very much you know based on a sort of a suggestion to enhance your enjoyment if you play in in a sort of a western desert campaign absolutely and just to go beyond that you you've added a few well there's an entire new section to this book because there are some forms of bolt action armies i can think of two right off the bat the lrdg mm. and um the various forms of the auto sahariana um their sort of mm. italian counterparts um whose names i'm i know they have very specific names for the specific organizations that i'm not going to get into because i'm not going to mm. mispronounce them but um mm. they don't tend to play like mm. conventional armies they were raiders they they were on the move they were mounted um they were zipping behind enemy lines um capturing objectives just they sort of you know and the SAS of course are part of this but all of those those organizations the national rules never quite fit them um as mm. the italian player with an auto saharian army the italian rules just did not fit um, yeah. However, you've gone beyond giving us new Italian rules in general. There are national or new set of national rules for those armies. So the LRDG get their own set of national rules now. They're not they're not necessarily their own na nation, of course. But um, yeah. because they have such a specific organization, you've actually um, given, you know, as you just say, that freedom to those players to to run the force that more historically saw the you know the battlefield. Definitely. I mean, with the I mean, touching especially on the on the, on the special forces. Um, again, I guess this comes uh, comes from you know, growing up with the the legends of the SAS and the LRDG. Um, in, in the Western Desert. Uh, I, I didn't think it was possible to put together a book on the Western Desert that didn't feature these guys uh, heavily. Um, so, uh, you know, in the, initially... Um, uh, I, I looked at uh, pulling together some army lists for this. Now, I, I must just mention Sam uh, Lancashire, who, who generally gets known as Sam Down Order. Mm -hmm. he, he, has, he has other podcasts. And um, we, we talked a lot about special forces, and he showed me stuff he had been working on, um, which immediately clicked with me some of the ideas in there. So I, 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 must, give, I, mean, I must give credit to Sam here because... A lot of the good stuff in the um, in the special forces elements in here is is, is 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 based on a lot of inspirational ideas mm. um, and ideas from him. Um, one of the things that he pointed out very very clearly to me was that um, these these forces do not on, on, in in their plain vanilla. Uh, form do not stand up well to a, um, a what I call a, a, a sort of a generic uh, bolt action force that may yeah. have armor, yeah. heavy guns, etc. Um, so we, we with the national characteristics, um, those hopefully help alleviate some of the issues by making them extremely um, difficult force to fight against. They have the ability to to flank much better, to hit you from unexpected places. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I 
in, in reality, it doesn't take too long to, to suss that out. So I think, again, a, a well-handled um, standard bolt-action force would, would, would get, would, would, wouldn't have a lot of problems dealing with these guys. So what we thought we would do is handle it in two ways. And we need to give these guys some opposition. So that if you want to play a, a special forces uh, battle, then... Ideally, they should be going up against another special forces group. Mm -hmm. and, a, and, a, and a history and, a, and reading about the SA, well, the LRGG specifically to start off mm -hmm. with, they fought quite a long campaign against uh, their, their Italian opponents, the, the, the Auto Sahariana, um, who were at a time when the um, Italians were suffering from um, the predations of Operation Compass. Mm -hmm. the, these guys were well trained. They'd been in the desert for some time. There was a lot of uh, experienced colonial troops. They'd learnt the lessons that you needed to be a mobile force. So... I thought, well, let's bring these guys in as well as a, as a, as a natural uh, opponent. So what you would end up with there, if you do a sort of a, a, fun, a, 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 com, a, a battle between these two types of forces, then you've got a completely different sort of bolt-action game, much more mobile, um, much more unpredictable. Um, and I think that is the fun. And to support that, we needed those, you know, those special characteristics. Mm -hmm. um, most of them are, are, are designed the sort of hit and run type ones. Um, uh, that for yeah, for instance, hit and run vehicles that are currently assigned an advance order may react to enemy shooting or assaulting by executing a single nine inch move with one ninety degree turn if they pass a special morale test. Mm -hmm. um, basically, allowing you to—it's a bit like recce in some respect—allowing you to sort of get away. Um, from a from a from a difficult situation, um, I've also introduced here a little bit more in the terrain. And whereas a lot of the main battles were fought close to the coast, and it was not so much deep sand, a lot of the LRDG battles took place in the deep desert. So we've got additional terrain like um, sand dunes, etc. And a lot of those vehicles uh, normally couldn't handle this, but they were skilled, the SAS, the LRDG, the Auto Sahariana, and they had various tactics. So we have things like deflate those tires, mm -hmm. um, which allows you know vehicles to advance through rough ground designated as sandy or rocky at a rate of six inches. So little things like that. Um, and, and, and finally, as well, uh, and, and again, I will, you know, credit Sam on this one. Is Sam put together a very nice little scenario called Patrol? Yes, which is I was going to bring designed, that up. Yeah, specifically designed for for special forces missions, um, and it basically dictates a little bit of the type of opposition forces that are that are going up against it, which will tend to be static, which will tend to be uh, uh, less mobile, perhaps less firepower. Um, but should provide a very interesting and challenging game for both sides with one guy playing the patrol. Um, and I'm hoping also that, you know, going beyond the Western desert, that, that, that these rules and these and that particular scenario can probably be adapted to, you know, other theatres of, of, of operations. So, you know, if you want to use your SAS in, the, um, in, in, in Western Europe, um, you know, then please use these rules there. Uh, it's good also for things like raids on, you know, the, the commando raids, mm -hmm. the Breneville raid and other things like that. So, you know, again, it's one of those things just to add something to the, you know, the bolt action players toolkit, allowing them to do other things. 
That's right. And that mission is also mentions um, if you want to have sort of partisan force raids. I know there's a lot of interest in partisan forces at the moment yeah. with, um, you know, various Kickstarters and people, um, you know, using the warlord models to make, you know, some of the partisan forces that were present in a number of the books. Um, mm. So, again, here's a new mission for specifically if you want to play narrative themed events with those forces that aren't necessarily in the desert. Um, Indeed, you're absolutely, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right, Brad. And, and, and to be fair, thinking about it, you know, I'd have loved this scenario back in the in, in the road to Berlin because mm. uh, you know there's, there's a heavy focus. You know, there's the focus on the NKVD and their fights mm -hmm. against various partisan forces, and of course the, um, of course the Polish AK, um, and they would have been well, uh, and they work well with this. And I, I did play around a little bit with um, after the after the event. Unfortunately, played around with using the AK and uh, NKVD using these rules, and got some quite interesting little games out of that. Yeah, I'm definitely going to be doing that myself uh, as the NKD, NKVD owner, and I know some with partisans, so <laughs> that is definitely getting played as well. Um, I think it should also be mentioned, um, I know we've been talking a lot about um, sort of these, maybe not obscure, but maybe not as big as some of the big nations, and I, I can hear the internet scratching and calling in the background, what about the Germans? Um well, uh, we don't get new national rules for the Germans because they just got a new book, but you do provide a ton of theater selectors, um, uh, along with the other nations, that really help you, that have specific rules that line up with specific um, formations. Um, but before we even get to those, there is an additional... Um, special forces for the Germans as well. I know we talked about the LRTG and the Auto Sahariana. Yeah. Um, there is Kampgruf Hecker. Now, I don't know these guys, and I'm sure I just mispronounced the guy's name. Can you tell us a little yeah. bit about these? Because um, yeah. they're awesome. They look cool. Yeah, I mean, they, 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 there's a lot written about this Kampgruf Hecker. They were primarily a, a, a Brandenburger mm. unit. Um, and of course, quite um, uh, quite quite prone to want to 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 go into operations uh, disguised as uh, disguised as as, as as the enemy. Mm -hmm. um, during the during the Gazala um, offensives, um, one idea that had been floated around by uh, by the Germans and the Italians was uh, an outflanking uh, maneuver. In fact, a, a, a small all invasion by sea behind the uh, the Commonwealth front lines, um, in an attempt to basically cut the Via Balbia, which was the main road, uh, the perhaps the only road uh, of, of any use that stretched almost from um, from Tripoli to uh, to 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 to, um, to Egypt, uh, in fact to Cairo, and um, so Kampfgruppe Hecker. Uh, there was a plan that they, along with a bunch of um, Italian Marines from the San Marco, mm -hmm. um, would dress up in uh, in British uniforms. Um, they had a number of, uh, well, quite a lot of captured uh, uh, Commonwealth equipment, including uh, Crusader tanks. And they were going to do this tiny amphibious invasion, um, go forward, take the road, cut the road off, hang on as long as possible, and then hopefully be relieved by the advancing um, um, Army Africa uh, forces coming forward. 
it got called off at the last minute. But to me, it was one of those, wow, that's one of those really good what ifs. Um, So... Uh, so I put them in there, and um, they've got a specific scenario actually in there for this for representing this particular action. So um, it, it's a little bit of a fun element in there. Um, so in a way, they operate a little bit like the guys did in the in the in, in, in the Bulge campaign, um, um, the the infiltrators. Uh, but this is but this does it from the from the Western deserts uh, specific, and I'm hoping players can have a little bit of fun with those. Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, as I said, in addition to that, there's there's tons of theater selectors that allow you to take themed armies uh, of all kinds uh, in the desert. Now, there is such a wide span um, between the nations and between the different types that I'm just going to let you say some of your favorites. So I'm not, not sitting here reading a list. Um, what I, I Give us some an idea of what are some of these theater selectors that allow you to create specific armies that really fit the desert war that you couldn't normally do with a normal uh, reinforced platoon. Okay. Okay. Um, well, let's, let, let, let's start, let's start with the, let's start with the British. Um, one of the, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm fascinated. I'm, I've always been fascinated by the the, the, the Commonwealth armies um, in the early part of the de- of the desert conflict before they became the Eighth Army. Mm. Um, and uh, it's not not a romantic notion of the way they perform, but this sort of idiosyncratic way that, that, that they did perform in the sense that you. Um, any, the, the guys in the the guys in the armored cars to start off with the 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 like for instance a lot was written about the eleventh hussars these guys had been in Egypt for years um, they'd swapped their horses for armored cars you know many years before and uh, but they still saw themselves as a sort of dashing um, advance force that you know reconnaissance and raiding and. Uh, uh, so I, I wanted, first of all, to put in this 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 this, this armored car uh, theatre selector, um, and, and they're, they're very common for what fought in the in the in the early periods in nineteen in the nineteen forty um, uh, before the Italian invasion. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, a, it's it's purely an armored car force, really, with a little bit of uh, motorized infantry support that can go dashing around, uh, and I've made it so that it can sort of strike from different um, different directions. Mm-hmm. Um, so they've got a, I've, I've got a, they did not expect that rule, um, which allows um, any outflanking armoured cars to arrive from 12 inches further forward than usually allowed on the turn. Mm-hmm. Uh, they've also got the desert fighters rule. So I had to stick those guys in because I read so much about them and they, 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 they were just fantastic to, to, to read about. Definitely. Um, and, and the other the other thing that always struck me about the British Army at that particular time was this incredible diversity of um, of roles between the between the infantry and the and, and, and the tanks, and especially the armoured brigades, um, who just saw themselves as a law unto themselves. The infantry were just there basically to protect their safe harbours. In other words, the the tanks would range out like some sort of naval force, uh, fight a battle over the horizon with the opponent's tanks, and then come back in the evening and just find that they've got a nice secure place protected by the um, protected by the infantry, or as they call them, I think, the, the support groups at the time. Mm-hmm. But th- those guys got a bit upset about this, thinking, well, hey, you know, we want to we want to do something, so. 
Um, one of the uh, one, 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 one of sort of the real um, standout guys of the uh, of the desert campaign was a guy called Lieutenant Colonel J C Campbell or Jock Campbell. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he saw what was left after the tanks had gone away. So there was, you know, there was a lot of mobile, you know, some mobile infantry, mobile guns that could be towed. And he formed something that was called the Jock Column. And these would be like a reinforced platoon that were just basically no tanks, maybe the odd armoured car. But these guys considered themselves just as mobile and just as um, just just as, um, as as effective. So these jock columns used to set off on their own. So you've got the ability to play a sort of an interesting mobile force, but one that doesn't contain the tanks. So hopefully that might prove to be um, interesting. Definitely. Um, and with the tanks. Um, Again, I have to say from the beginning, one of the one of the enduring features I think of the desert campaign is that because of the nature of the campaign and because it was such a seesaw backwards and forwards campaign, the, the tanks were a major part in it. There's, there's no two ways about it. Mm. Now I know ostensibly bolt action is a is as an infantry game, but I do know people have got lots of tanks and people like playing with tanks as well. So. Um, I've created, and well, for all forces really, um, theatre selectors that are based on a sort of an armoured, an armoured force. So we've we've got the British um, armoured units, um, and I thought, well, let's give them some special rules as well uh, that, that make them that little bit different. So the armoured forces, for instance, they've all got the, um, they've also got the up and atom type uh, rule. Um, which 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 allows them to you know charge forward, um, always gives them that sort of sort of ability. In in, in actual conflict, they used to call it balaclavering because it was, I guess it went back to balaclavering the Crimea and the whole idea that hey you know we're the, we're we're basically almost like the cavalry we're charging forward ahead of everybody else. And and the other thing was that they also worked on a basis which is quite different from the Germans that they want that they 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 promoted the idea of firing on the move. And I thought, well, you know, that's not particularly effective in in bolt action, firing on the move. So I thought, hey, let's do something odd here, and we'll put. So I've got a firing on the move for the British here, and um, and basically, and it will surprise some people when it actually happens to them. Uh, so you'll have to watch out for it. Is that uh, any tank or armoured car from a sort of British armoured? Um, uh, platoon may fire at any enemy vehicle when performing a run action or a run move. Now, you, you can't normally do that. No. Um, admittedly, there's a hit modifier of minus three. So in a lot of cases, you've probably not got much, you, you might not hit. But hey, it makes it different when a British tank comes hurling around, hurtling around the side. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think you're safe because he's having to run and then he just swacks you in the flank with a uh, with, with a shot. So uh, it it It'll be quite interesting to see how how that one plays out. But it gives a little sort of difference to the British. And finally on the British, um, again, in the earlier part of the conflict, uh, one of the things I did notice that despite the tanks whizzing off, the infantry tanks, the good old Matildas or or whatever, played a massive part in the early parts of the campaign, uh, working in very close cooperation with the infantry. Uh, initially with the with with the Indian forces, and then when they were moved out with the uh, with the um, Australians. Mm. Uh, so if you take a, an infantry brigade um, uh, from uh, for, 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 the, for, for the Commonwealth, um, for every two 
infantry detachments, infantry groups you have in there, you can take one um, infantry tank. So uh, you can have this situation, and you, I'm, I'm trying to reflect all those pictures you see of, 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 of stalwart Commonwealth infantry mm -hmm. marching into action amongst the Matildas. So... Um, this is another element where you're going to see a few more tanks than you might expect to see, and, and tanks in what is ostensibly an infantry formation, just trying to make it thematic to the um, to the to, 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 to what the conflict actually represented. Mm. So, you know, there's a few of them. And just conversely, later on in the war, I mean, once they've come up against the uh, with the Panzers of the Africa Corps, the British tanks, you know, suffered horrendous losses. Yeah. I mean, really, really terrible losses. Um, so, for instance, in a, in a later armoured brigade, I've given them the cool heads rule, um, which just says that you know, when, when, when they're firing, Commonwealth tanks ignore... Uh, uh, the die roll modifier for pin tanks because they would just they would they they learned not to expose themselves they told themselves they had to stay where they were uh, let the Africa Corps come to them uh, or else it would sort of end in a disaster so again as, as, depending on what period of the conflict you're playing mm -hmm. you will find that certain formations will operate in a slightly different manner absolutely and as you were saying this doesn't these aren't national rules they are. Um, sort of specifically tied to specific selectors. So you might That's think, right. oh, look, I can take these, um, you know, I, I know that there may be a player out there who might think, oh, that that British armored car um, selector that you were talking about a second ago. Well, I can take some of these late war car. No, no, no. It, they are specifically oh. tied to that particular era and uh, theater of the, the conflict. So they are very, it's a very narrow band. Um, but you're mm. giving people the tools to take really flavorful, really historically accurate forces on the tabletops. Um, and mm. with the rules that sort of make them just slightly off kilter to make them more interesting. Um, so you're not just mm. doing the usual reinforced platoon. But you've done that for the other nations as well. Um, as we said, yeah, yeah. the Germans don't get new national rules, but they do get these selectors that have these little rule tweaks, don't they? Well, yeah, exactly, and, and and again, from the reading of uh, of, of the conflicts, it was mm. it was if we take German tanks for instance, uh, you know, the Panzers were you know a feared opponent. The British didn't like them. The British armed forces didn't like going up against them, and there does seem to be a. Um, uh, a trend there that uh, on the accuracy of, 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 of German tanks. Now, um, it, it's clear that Germans didn't have better. Well, that the sighting the sighting mechanisms of German tanks, you know, were, 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 were similar. They didn't have better sights, but they did appear to have better fields of vision, which tended to mean that in a fast-moving conflict, uh, the Germans were able to range in um, a, a lot better than perhaps the British were. Plus, the fact is that mm. you know the Germans were pretty much trained to, although advance aggressively, to fire uh, to fire when stationary, which was which was different. So. I've got something in here called German optics um, for the for the for the German Panzer divisions, and it's it's quite quite significant. So German tanks and tank destroyers do not suffer the long range minus one modifier to hit when they're using a fire order, including ambush, and that is going to make them quite scary yeah. um, on the battlefield. And you have to think about you know what to do when you're going up against them. Now. 
I know in some circumstances, you know, some people are going to say, oh, gosh, that unbalances it now. And the Germans are, you know, far too good with their tanks. And uh, what's happening with the points values here? Uh, again, as much as anything, Brad, my stuff or the stuff I've got we've put in this is, 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 is suggestions. I'm just trying to make it thematic. If people don't like it and, it, and they find it, you know, unbalances or makes the game a competitive, you know, stops mm. the game as being as competitive maybe as they want it to be then you know they're purely optional in that sense i always say that the, the, these are suggestions if you want to just do something that's thematic yeah. to the um, to the side and, I, and i've done the same with with with, with the anti-tank guns again reading about it you know the german use of anti-tank guns they were incredibly aggressive with them they yeah. moved them forwards yeah. they moved forward with the tanks and the, and the way the germans would work is that uh, um, it would be often the, the anti-tank guns that would take the lion's share of the kills. They would mix them in with their tanks. They were much smaller silhouettes. So in a lot of cases, uh, when, they were being, when the return fire was coming in, it would be focused at the tanks, which were the panzers, which were much more visible, and the anti-tank guns were, were, were avoided. Yet it was the anti-tank guns that were doing a lot of damage. Um, so... We're putting a little forward the guns rule with the with, with the Germans, so that German anti-tank units uh, can re-roll uh, failed order tests when for for, for the anti-tank guns when testing for an advance or run order. So you've got that you've got that ability to be aggressive um, with that with those uh, with those anti-tank guns again, just to try and give that uh, that that feeling or, or, or a flavour of the way that the Africa Corps actually played or yeah. well fought i should say not played yeah exactly and i mean we are still talking late early war i think is how we want to call that and sort of early yeah. mid-war um sort of the the era so it's not like you're giving those rules to a panther um i no, mean it's no. it, they're very much tied to the vehicles um in those organizations so as, as a player who's played competitively um i don't look at these and think you know, uh, I, I don't see people rubbing their paws greedily and laughing. I think that these rules match um, and they they really do lead to some really interesting styles of play. But as you say, if people find something that perhaps is perhaps too good, don't use it. Um, yeah. Turns out there's a lot of selectors and a lot of rules in here that you can use. And yeah, they look great. Mm. And, and I hope, I hope that if people... Um, you know, are playing sort of similar battles in the sort of the period 1940, 1942. I mean, if we're looking at Barbarossa, um, we're looking at the, uh, some some of these some of these rules. If you want to, you know, why not just port those across? I mean, the the situation that the Russians faced when coming up against the Panzers on the steps. Again, the Germans tended to be out shooting the uh, tended to be out shooting the Russians, and a lot of it again was down to the fact that the the technology, uh, the sighting technology, the optics technology was was that little bit better. So, mm. um, I would hope that a lot and many of these things as well. You know, if you wanted to adapt them across. Then, 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 why not? It would be, it, it, it would be, it would be quite interesting. The one thing I wanted to talk about, yes, which sorry. is probably, the, which is probably the most controversial thing I've put in here, um, and uh, will probably promote a, a, a. Some people say yes, and a lot of people will. It will just be a wailing and gnashing of teeth. It's, <laughs> Is a little is a little bugbear that I have about uh, bolt action and German infantry and and the usage of the LMG. 
Ah, now, yes. from a historical perspective, um, you know, German units, German, 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 German infantry were very much centred around their LMG. As much mm-hmm. as anything, the riflemen were supports to the to, to the LMG, which did most of the damage. But uh, quite often, LMGs are quite expensive, and they are probably, you know, some people might say not as effective as they could be for the for, for, for the points. So. Um, what I've done is, uh, for German infantry, I've, I've included a, a, a Schutzen class of infantry, who, who, I, who were very much sort of similar to sort of proto-Panzergrenadiers. Um, um, what I've done, and this is, this is a bit controversial, is said that uh, if you take an LMG, that first LMG, you can take up to two if you want to, but that first LMG is free. <laughs> you pay you pay you pay for the second one now i i was always going to work on a basis that i'm not going to force people say germans definitely took machine guns and they should you should take machine guns uh i just thought I'd, in this particular case i'd make it sort of like a no-brainer for them to take that machine gun because it's 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 there for it's there for nothing you know they, they pay the additional if they want a, a, an additional one on there and and to me um, although, again, that might, for some people, unbalance things a little bit, and they'll say, oh, I don't like that. And, of course, you know, tournament, uh, tournament people can take that one out. You know, a German infantry unit, you know, especially in the, as we saw when they talked about the Africa Corps and the amount of firepower those guys could put out, yes. you know, they, they, they were scary. So this is one of those things I've sort of slipped in there. Um, it might be an interesting talking point, but I, I hope people sort of, you know, take it for what it is, that it's an attempt to sort of make, um, you know, the German infantry a little bit more, what I would say, like uh, they, they, they were they were in they were in reality. So that, 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 that's that's one I'm bringing I'm, I'm bringing up and I'll, I'll be very interested, uh, maybe maybe with a bit of trepidation about what people will, will say about that one. Yeah, I mean, yes, I could see someone might say like, oh, a free LMG. Um, but given that, again, we are we are lining this the that particular squad up to desert forces. Um, mm. It's not like you're doing that. Uh, you're using those forces in the fall of Berlin, for example. Mm. Um, yeah. They they fit the armies and the theme of the place that they're mm. playing. Um, and mm. this their their entry does not say use these. You can use these in a generic platoon. Um, exactly. Yeah. So they are themed to a particular selector, and in that case, I think you're just adding more flavor. I, I think that's wonderful. Oh, great! Thank you. Well, I, I'm a fan, so <clears throat> sorry. <laughs> um, but hold on. Let's talk LMG some more because um, yeah. I know earlier you mentioned future um, not only lining up your release, this book, with past mm. content. You lined it up with future content. And one of the entries that you lined it up with is a unit in the, new, in the Battle of France book, which isn't even out yet. Um, yeah. Would you like to talk about the LMG squad? Yeah, um, what 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 are one of those things uh, again? Um, and and I must thank Mark Barber for this, who's, who's putting together the um, the campaign in France book. And um, you know, he pointed out that um, 
in many, many cases, uh, German units or German, r rather than having the full um, MMG setup of the uh, of, of the MG34 on, it, on its tripod mount, um, um, there were dedicated little units that were that would run around or, or, or operate as security or protection for, for, for forces that would operate with the uh, the MG34 in, in bipod mode, and therefore it becomes an LMG. So. What we've done, and, and these were actually also um, quite prominent in, 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 in protecting um, the, um, the anti-tank uh, units. And we've got anti-tank, uh, specifically anti-tank gun force selectors in this book and also in the, in, in the France book. Uh, so we thought we'd just stick in the LMG um, as, a, as, a, as an additional um, unit that you can pull and you can you can put it in the um, in, in the in the normal machine gun um, selector mm. um, you, we, it, uh, in a generic in a generic unit it will fit in in the LMG selector and it yeah. may or may not be appropriate there you may want it or you may not want it but it also becomes a, a, a natural choice as something that replaces an infantry unit in one of the anti-tank selectors so it, it, it's, it's, it's adding something in there again it, it's a thematic thing about looking at the way that the Germans fought in that part of the war and to a certain extent they, they, they carried that on you know we, we're focusing again on this idea that you know the LMG or the MG34 was a, was a very important part of the German army and the, and the way it operated. And mm. we're just trying to reflect that and, and give you as many options as possible and still stay true to the way that the Germans use those types of weapons. Totally. Absolutely. Now, um, we, we've been talking a really long time and uh, we've talked about uh, nations that have existed that have optional new rules. We've talked about a, a ton of theater selectors. And of course, there are Italian theater selectors as well with other additional rules. We've talked about um, the new sort of raider forces, um, the special forces units. But there's <laughs> there's one giant elephant that's sitting in the corner of the room um, that we haven't talked about that's in this book that I know mm -hmm. a lot of people are going to be interested in. There's an entire new nations of army list um we are talking mm. about um a new armies of free france um now yeah. there is one of those in the um uh, market garden book not the market garden book the um the battle of the bulge book but that yeah. is a late war free french force you've given mm. us a new force that is completely different from that army that is um themed for desert warfare mm. yeah um I mean, Bir Hakim, um, as, as, as part of the Ghazala battles, I mean, that, that, that's probably one of the most famous sort of, you know, defensive battle mm. siege type uh, elements and, uh, that, and, and, and a very important part of, of, of any, any story of the, of the Desert War. And of course, it was, the, it was the Free French that were involved in there. So, you know, as I talk about the Commonwealth forces and we talked about their national characteristics, you know, there were other guys out there um, who, who, who were also contributing to the, to, to, to the Allied, um, Allied defence. Mm. And the Free French immediately came, came, came to mind. Now, again, I am 
going to uh, call out some guys who basically uh, are, are experts on this. Uh, one, one of the, and, and, and forgive me if I get his surname wrong, but Lou, yes. I think it's Lou Passagier, um, is an absolute expert on French forces in the, uh, in, in, in the Second World War. And um, in collaboration with Brian Cook mm-hmm. um, from Australia, who's, who's also going to be contributing a, a theatre book soon, I think next year, on Budapest. Yes. Uh, they initially pulled together an absolutely brilliant army list for the, for, for the Free French. Um, and I was, I, I, I saw this one. It was recommended to me because I was talking about, you know, we were looking at the Western Desert. And um, it's something that was done as a beautiful PDF presentation. And I believe it's something that Alessio Cavatori saw and said, hey, this is a good piece of work. And I immediately realized that nothing I could write would actually would actually beat this. So I talked to the guys and said, look, you know, would you be upset if I took this and put this in this particular book? And they said, no, no, that's absolutely fine. We'd love you to do that. So the only thing I've done is in conjunction with them is sort of up- updated it to um, the second edition, any changes required mm. to second edition. And what it's produced is a really nice... Uh, army list it sort yes. of it fights that little bit different from the normal commonwealth forces the the equipment it uses um is is is, is, is that little bit different um in a lot of cases it's uh, it, it's fantastic sort of heath robinson adaptations of existing british or french equipment with with guns and uh, and, and other elements bolted on just to make a, a, a really sort of you know thematic force uh, the infantry selections as well you, you know you've got regular french regular free French troops, you've got the colonial tourniers, you've got... um, you, you know, you, you've got uh, the Doran the, the Legion in there. You've That's got you've right. got a lot of really really interesting little uh, little little changes in there. So yeah, this was a perfect opportunity to say, you know, you want to get you want to get your money's worth out of this book. Well, hey, let's stick in a stick in a, a perfectly relevant to the subject uh, new army. And it was it was great pleasure from my perspective that I'm able to showcase these guys work because mm. they did a fantastic job on this one. And I'm hoping that people will, will, will really enjoy playing with this. Absolutely. It is such a good, oh, such a good list too. Uh, as yeah, I'm just glad that it got put in there. And as you say, you've updated it for second edition and made it uh, by putting it in the book, it'll be more widely available to more players to use mm. and they'll find out it exists and more people will use it. And yeah, it's just fantastic. Mm. Mm. It's, it's one thing I'm trying to promote is that um, I, I feel I feel sometimes you know so freelancers when we're because the majority now of, of, of bolt action books are, are written by um, sort of freelance people mm. and um, one of the things I've I, I've wanted to do is, is is you know is get us together a little bit more to talk a little bit more so that our ideas merge into the other and it's great because you know you learn a lot I mean I learned a lot from um, um, from, from from Mark Barber of, of books that he's done previously, yeah. uh, working with Brian, um, bouncing off ideas because one one you know it, it, it's it's good for us, but also uh, it, it's good if it if it sort of means that you know you're not going to get too many differences or you're not going to see things uh, in in one army book that follows mm-hmm. another, oh sorry one campaign book that follows another that ends up causing some sort of level of contradiction or whatever just to give a, a, a you know we want to give it so that you know there's there's a certain familiarity. Absolutely. Um, and that consistency yeah. is wonderful to see. Mm. 
Yeah, sorry, I didn't mean to. I, we had a Skype pickup there, and I didn't mean to talk. About you. Um, did were you no, able to finish right. your sentence? No, that, no, that, no, that's okay. I, I, hopefully, I put it across. It, it, it's just basically yeah. saying, you know, we 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 need to talk together a little more. Mm. Well, um, I am sorry to say our time is almost up. Um, and uh, guys, it that it it's heartbreaking to say that, given that for all we've talked about, and we've been talking about this book for a solid hour now. We haven't even talked about the other 18 missions beyond the one that Sam from Down Order contributed. We haven't talked about the pages of background fluff, the pages of special rules, and the pages of new units. Um, my favorites are the Bisons finally in there. Um, the Diana, which was in a previous book, is in here again. Um, we have Royal Engineers for the British. How long have British players wanted engineers? You got them. Um, and there's just so many more. Um, uh, is there, Roger, I, I, I know that you want to say something about some of these missions or anything else. Um, please uh, let us know what what tidbits can you share that would, uh, you know, get get our fancies even more, uh, our juices watering, so to speak. Well, uh, one of the things I, I, I wanted to do as well is that just as we've but by by putting, you know, I think a, a, a nice, interesting variety of, of, of theatre le- mm. theater selectors in here that are, you know, North which are Western Desert specific. Then um, I wanted to be ca- as careful as possible that if I, for the scenarios perspective, that those scenarios would actually exploit or allow you to showcase those those differences. Mm. So, I mean, one one of the things about the uh, about the way you'll play a, a desert game is is that um, there isn't a great deal. There wasn't a great deal of terrain. You 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 were quite often fighting in the open. Mm. Um, so your whole style of play will probably have to change um, in order to um, in order to fully carry. You know, get the uh, get get the get the way that a Western desert battle fought. So um, although it's split into sort of five historical, uh, oh, is it six? I think. Six historical sections going mm. from Operation Compass all the way up to, you know, the the, the, the big battles at uh, at Al Alamein. Um, you know, try to put in some really sort of um, thematic desert type battles uh, that allows you to to use the tanks, that allows you to um, use the infantry and the anti tank guns in a slightly different way. There's a lot of open sort of whirling dogfighty type um, tank battle elements in there, um, like the tank crash at Makili. It's a sort of Italians versus British early war uh, tank battle. Um, there are attacks on defended fort- fortifications, or, or um, such as, as, for instance, Berkim. Um, the the attacks by the Italians are it's the Italians. What am I talking about? The attacks by the Australians in the early okay, part of the, yeah, the conflict on Bardia, on um, on, on Tobruk itself. Mm. Um, yeah, um, outpost snipe. That's one that I, I, I I'm, I'm interested in. It's a, it's an engagement that took place in in October '42, right in the middle of um, of El Alamein, where a, a British anti tank unit of of basically six pounder anti tank guns. Uh, Somehow had managed to, by uh, some confusion in orders, had found itself in a highly forward position, and more or less found itself in the middle of a massive um, 
of, of, of Axis uh, tank units. And it's a real, mm. real story of, of, of almost like, you know, um, circle the wagons as, the, as, 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 as we come under attack of, of these anti-tank guns, basically fighting almost to the last gun um, against continued raids by Italian and, um, and, and German tank units. And when you actually look at the amount of kills that they scored, it was a, it was a fair proportion of Axis tank losses on that particular day. And that one little... Um, that one little engagement, or seemingly a little engagement, had a significant effect on 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 the Africa Corps and the Italians' ability to maintain its uh, maintain any form of of, of armored uh, armored offensive. So. Um, that, that that's that that's one of those um, that's one of those sort of fun items. There's another one which is a very, in some respects, sad but also, um, you know, brave uh, combat, which was also at the same time roughly as as a Bir Hakim, mm. uh, Bir El Hamat, where a, a Jewish the Jewish brigade who were sort of on the end of the Commonwealth line at Gazala, um, in a pretty indefensible position, suddenly found themselves confronted by the cream of the um, of, of, of the African. Corps as it attempted to encircle. Um, so I've put in some little rules for, 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 for the Jewish Brigade. I mean, in, in the end, you know, knowing, knowing, you know, what a desperate situation it would have been for them going up against the Germans, um, you know, I thought I'd put that little scenario in there just as a, um, just as a taster that, you know, amongst all the main big tank battles and other elements that went on there, there was also these little sort of, you know, very interesting snippets, mm. uh, sometimes tragic, sometimes heroic. Um, and again, one other thing is as well, always in mind with the scenarios is to say that, well, you know, if I can make them as interesting or if we can make them as interesting enough, uh, you know, people might say, well, all right, with a little bit of adaptation, you know, can we take that scenario and stick it somewhere else? You know, can we put it in another, um, in, in another theater and, you know, just alter it a little bit so that, uh, from a historical perspective, so it fits. So, that was where we were going. That's what we were go I was going for with the with, with scenarios. Was basically looking for something that's interesting and something that reflected the Western Desert style of fighting, uh, but at the same time, hopefully, might be interesting enough that uh, they, they they would operate as standalone scenarios and people could uh, you know lift and shift them and stick them into a different uh, into a different campaign. Definitely, I know yeah. I'm going to be playing quite a lot of them very soon. Hmm. Uh, one other rule I put in here um, is purely optional. Um, again, this this concept of the billiard billiard table terrain that uh, the, the, the general view of the of the Western Desert mm. was, was, but but it, it was it was you know it, it's flat you know in, in that sense of little 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 there wasn't a lot of um, breaking up terrain, but it, there was many sort of depressions and gullies and rises and falls in the ground that could be exploited by a clever tank commander and when you read battles about the um about the western desert you know the one term that always comes up and i know it reflects in other campaigns as well but you know yeah we got hauled down here you know the, the germans were pretty good at getting hauled down or the british got themselves into a hauled down position which made it very difficult for you to shoot because you know the tank was positioned by the, a clever commander in such a way that the the hull of the tank was invisible and the only thing that could be seen was the turret um so what i've put in is a is a very optional rule um called hull down um which allows a tank commander um or, or a player using tanks to be able to by passing an order um, 
even if the tank is apparently in the open, uh, we're saying that by passing a, 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 a certain test, that, that tank commander has cannily placed his tank in a, in a good position and has gone hull down, which means that any shots coming in into the front arc of that tank um, is counted as uh, in, in hard cover with a minus two to hit. Um, but if you, um, if you can manoeuvre... Uh, outside of that forward arc, then you assume to have got that flank in there. He's ne his hull becomes exposed, mm -hmm. and he again becomes a, a you know a, a much easier to hit target. And we just and in the games I played, I just reflect that hull down by just sticking a little bit of foliage or a little bit of terrain in front of it. So it's a purely optional thing, and it's probably something that's perfectly adaptable to any other any other theatre. But hull down is one of those phrases that you hear all the time when there's the talking about tank combat in the Western Desert. Mm -hmm. So it's just one of those little things again that's that's thrown in there that you can say mm, I'll give it a try. I might not like it, but let's see how it let's see how it works. Yeah, exactly. And it's great for those uh, narrative games, as you say, when you're playing those scenarios and you want to actually reflect people being dug in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But without the but without the. Um, but without this, this this restriction that you know, if you dug in in standard bolt action, that's it. You're in that dug in position for, for forever. Well, this whereas this is the this is that sort of ability to give yourself a that's almost right. like a mobile semi dug in, but with you know some advantages, but also a lot of disadvantages. That's true. Yep. All right. Well, Roger, I I, I could literally talk to you about this book probably all night but um i think our time is sadly at an end um thank you so much for coming on this has been so educational and so oh god i'm i'm frothing at the mouth to get uh to get to get playing some desert games now uh, i'm definitely pulling out one of my armies tomorrow to work on it um thank you so much uh and uh for coming on and thank you so much for writing the book um and god man thank you it's an, it's an absolute pleasure, Brad, and it's been it's been great talking to you. And um, you know, it's it, it's it's been an absolute pleasure. Right on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if you have liked what you have heard tonight, or not liked what you've heard um we do uh do absolutely love your feedback um the warlord podcast is still i mean we're still figuring out everything that we would like to include in our episodes um and we are taking on feedback when it comes in um some of it we're able to act on some of it we're filing away for perhaps uh, a rainy day soon uh, you can give that feedback by either contacting warlord directly and they will pass it to me um, or you can contact me directly through my own podcast page. Um, if you look up Cast Dice, C-A-S-T-D-I-C-E, um, on Facebook, if you type that in, you'll find a page called the Land O Misfit Toys slash the Home of the Cast Dice Podcast. Um, that is my page. If you message me there, uh, as many of you have, uh, you can reach me directly, and I'm the only one that checks that. My name is Brad, and I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, thank you so much to all those people that have given us feedback. Um, again, anything that comes to me um, for Warlord, I pass directly to them. Um, and anything that you guys would like, um, as far as the show goes, I keep and uh, we use in the future. So, as always, thank you very much. Um, we do, we at Warlord and at uh, the Warlord podcast, know that uh, podcasting, it, it doesn't cost anything for you to, to buy, but time can be even more precious than money these days. And uh, we do really appreciate the fact that you have spent your time 
listening to this today. So thank you very much. Uh, we look forward to uh, sharing more of their wonderful content with you in the future. Uh, and uh, thank you very much. And we hope you enjoy all of the great desert gaming that is about to uh, be unleashed on the tabletops near you. Good night.